Quest Community Church, living life as friends with faith through knowing God, loving others, and making a difference. Morning. Sweat dropped from his forehead as he endured the stifling summer heat. The attic was dark, dusty, and a bit scary. Still, it was a place of refuge, the only place the 13-year-old boy could get away from them. Below him, he could still hear the voices of his tormentors. They purposely spoke loud enough for him to hear. They would recount stories of his failures and weaknesses, and then they would burst into laughter about how he had lost it. Sometimes the stories were so funny that the wives would join in the amusement. It was their sport to get him to lose control, to flip out as they called it. Their message propelled this searing arrow into the center of his soul, convincing him that he was most assuredly a bad person, deeply flawed, that there was something wrong with him at his very core. Why else would his own family devastate and scorch his tender heart? His many flaws were put on full display. He never wanted to leave that attic. He never wanted to interact with them again. Surely he could not be so foolish to do so. There would be no apology. There would be no acknowledgement of the wrong committed. There would be no thought of the damage done to him. The best scenario was that they would end the attack and move on. The likely scenario was that the attack would continue. How could my own brothers do that to me, he wondered. Why don't the wives stop the onslaught? These people don't care about me. Nobody cares about me. I'm on my own. I can and must make it alone. The message they passed to him seemed authoritative and final. He was defective and unlovable. He left behind the hopeful part of him in the attic that day. He left behind the boy who believed in himself, the one who viewed him as good. He left behind hope. It seemed as if life would never get better. Maybe if he jumped high enough in life, he could get them to accept him. Maybe he could even accept himself. At the Quest Transformation Service in May, I shared some of my personal experiences with what the Holy Spirit has been doing in my life and some of the deep healing and freedom that God has brought um, recently. And this morning, I'm excited to share some of that experience with you. As a matter of fact, the speaker in the first service, I so identified with his story. I laughed, I wept, and then I realized it was me and it was my story. So here we go. I'm going to give you that story. Hopefully, you'll be as enthralled as I was. Quest recently concluded a series in the Holy Spirit called Follow the Goose. And for those that missed that series, in his book titled The Wild Goose Chase, Christian author Mark Batterson notes that Celtic Christians referred to the Holy Spirit as the wild goose. A wild goose can't be tracked or tamed. There's an element of danger and an air of unpredictability with such a wild animal. Batterson writes, unlike current society's definition of a wild goose chase, The unpredictable and unknown direction of the Holy Spirit is really part of God's plan. If you chase the wild goose, God will take you places you could have never imagined by paths you never knew existed. And that is what's been happening to me. And why I'm calling today's message interrupted by the Spirit, as my life has most assuredly been interrupted recently by the wild goose. So before we get started, let me tell you a little about me just to give you some context uh, this may surprise some of you who know me, but I've been known as a button-down, somewhat serious guy. Uh, I'm a managing director for a very large financial services firm, um, multinational financial services firm. 
My team manages billions of dollars in client assets, and I am known as a left-brain person. A person who is left-brain is said to be more logical, analytical, and objective, while a person who is right-brain is said to be more intuitive, thoughtful, and subjective. So this is the only thing I'm going to ask of you today. This is an audience participation part. I'm going to find out how many left brains and how many right brains we have sitting here. So a left brain person is more logical, analytical, and objective, while a person who is right brain is said to be more intuitive, thoughtful, and subjective. So how many left brainers do we have? Logical, analytical, and objective. Okay. And then how many right brainers do we have? Intuitive, thoughtful, and subjective. Amazing. Just about half and half. So I give you that perspective because some may find it surprising that a left-brainer like me has been able to experience this wild goose in an intimate, personal way that has transformed him. In my notes, I have the word experience bold in italic because experience is what's happened. I have experienced God in a way that has changed my life. And I would invite you to experience God in a way that will encourage you and change your life. Regardless of the type of person we are, we all have questions about God. Does God still speak to people today? And if so, how does he do it? Does God still heal? Can God intervene in current events? Can God change me, my life? You know, there's a story of the seven blind men and the elephant that you may have heard. And in various versions of the story, a group of blind men touch the elephant to learn what it's like. Each one feels a different part, but only one part of the elephant, like the foot or the tusk. And then they get together to compare notes. Each is adamant that based on their experience, they know what the elephant's like. But predictably, as each shares, they are in complete disagreement in describing the elephant. This story illustrates that while one's subjective experience is true, it may not be the whole picture. You know, I think that our relationship with God, and most assuredly the Holy Spirit, is like that. So let me ask you a personal question. How do you view God? Perhaps you're here today and you're pondering if God's real at all. Is is God something man made up to alleviate fears and to feel better about his existence? If God is real, does he care? And by the way, is he paying attention? You know, perhaps you think God's real, but you're unconvinced that he is relevant to your life. I recently had the opportunity to have a conversation with Tim Keller, who's a Christian leader and author and pastor, and he said that he believes that this generation needs to know that God is emotionally and culturally relevant before they're even going to bother to explore if God is who Christians believe him to be. So is he relevant? Is he relevant in my life emotionally? Is he, is he relevant in this culture? My story is one of a man finding God to be very real and very emotionally relevant. I've had to overcome some serious barriers in in learning to be in relationship with God. My parents were divorced when I was seven. And I grew up in what would be uh, described as a painfully dysfunctional family. You know, it's been said that we view God through the lens of our father. My father was distant. He was unfaithful. He was uncaring. He was absent. And not much of my life after age seven or before. We view the Holy Spirit, it's been said, through the lens of our mother. My mother was judgmental, arbitrary, not nurturing, and would only connect with me if I performed. Tough lenses to see God, a lot to overcome to try to be in relationship with him. But you know, God has broken through that in a number of ways. I'm going to tell you just a a few stories about that. 
about how this left brain person began to interact with something he couldn't see, God's spirit. One of my first memories is I was a young Christian and I was still trying to come to terms with the fact that God could love me. You see, he didn't obviously pay attention or know everything about me because if he'd known what I was and what I'd done, he most assuredly wouldn't love me, I thought, regardless of what people had told me. And so I was at a stoplight in Dayton, Ohio. I was living there and um, I was on my way to a business appointment and had my tie on. I think I was styling. I was ready to rock and roll. And a car pulls up next to me at the stoplight. And uh, in the passenger seat is this mother holding this baby. Now, let me just say to the youngsters, I just dated myself as to how ancient I really am because it really was legal to do such things at one time. Today, that child must be in a restraint seat, but it wasn't always the case. And this mother is holding this baby, and you could just see the love, the the, the baby just cooing and, and, and loving mom and, and laughing with her and the look of love that radiated from her to that child. And in that moment at that stoplight... God's Holy Spirit began to speak to me and I began to cry as he said, Phil, at the moment of your worst sin, your worst thought, the worst thing you've ever done or ever will do, I love you more than that. You know, I had heard those words before, but in that moment, God's Holy Spirit seared that into my heart. And I knew that I knew that I knew that that was true. That at my worst moment, God loved me more than that. In 1993, I was clinically depressed. Some of you have heard this story. And if you've ever been clinically depressed, you know that it's difficult to connect with people or with God emotionally. Sometimes it's like a fog. And I was in such a place. I was in a place where my counselor was worried about me. And it was one Sunday during that period I was in church and we were worshiping God. And for whatever reason, God was able to break through the fog of depression that day. And I was connecting with God. And during worship, God said to me, Phil, I am going to make you a healer of men. And I kind of laughed and said, well, that's interesting, God. I'm going to kill myself, so good luck with that. So the worship team finished playing as they did here today, and people were taking their seats. And one of the worship leaders was a friend and somebody I trusted spiritually. And I feel this tap on my shoulder, and I turned around, and my friend Mark says, Phil, God wants me to tell you something. He spoke to me. During worship, I'm not sure this has any relevance in your life, but he wanted me to tell you this, and he wanted me to tell you this right now. He's going to make you a healer of men. I thought, wow, that's pretty impressive. You know, those of you that know me know that I've been honored to walk with men in my life and be a part of the healing that God brings to them. And that's something that's come true. One other memory was more recent, where um, four years ago I was in a church service, um, at a vineyard church in Cincinnati, and I was there with a, a good friend of mine who was a, a vineyard pastor in another city, and he had one of the young men on his staff there with him. And um, so we're standing there, and, and this young man knows who I am but doesn't know me from Adam or anything about me. And he's standing beside me at worship, and he leans to me. He says, Phil, I believe that God wants to heal your shoulder. Not that he had any clue that I had any shoulder problems. And so I looked at him and I said, okay, he, you know, he wanted to pray. So he started to pray for my right shoulder. I said, no, it's, it's this one, it's my left shoulder. And so just very simply, he puts his hand on my shoulder and asks God to heal it. And uh, that was it. And we went back to worship. And during the service, my shoulder was hot. It wasn't 
warm. It was hot. And after the service, as we were leaving the service to get something to eat, Wade, this young man, says, so Phil, how's your shoulder? I go, it's hot. And when I went to bed that night, it was hot. And when I woke up the next morning, I had no pain, full range of mobility. And that was four years ago. From that day to this day, I will tell you, for whatever reason, God chose to heal my shoulder. And I find it difficult for this left brain person to dismiss those events as coincidence. You see, I have experienced that God is, that God's real, and that he does, can, will, wants to intervene in our lives. So for those of you that want to know that God is emotionally relevant, the part of the experience I focus on today is the amazing emotional healing that God's brought me, not only over the years, but in the last few months. In case you haven't put it together, I was the 13-year-old boy in the attic. I'm the man who grew up believing that he was deeply flawed and unlovable. I'm the man who, for much of my career, can say that my professional success is traced to the fact that I wanted to prove to the world that they were wrong about me, that I had what it takes, that they were wrong. I wore a mask of a mask to hide my insecurity and my sin, and I was convinced that if I let you know who I really am, you would reject me. And so I pushed people away, and so I pushed God away, And I hid in a false place of protection. William Paul Young, the author of the best-selling book, The Shack, described me well uh, with this quote. Why do we keep our secrets? Mostly because we're terrified of losing control, of losing the little bits and scraps of acceptance and approval that we've managed to scrape together through production and performance. The irony is that relationships will bring us healing, but we often don't trust them. When someone comes into our lives and they offer genuine love, acceptance, forgiveness, and grace, the very things that would heal our heart, we don't believe them because they don't know the secrets. You don't know who I really am. Young continues, so what do we do? We find a way to survive. We look for ways to kill the pain while maintaining the facade. We beg God in secret to heal us while we stay moving targets, active in ministry and service. If exhaustion and praise of performance don't kill the pain, we find other things that will. Prescription drugs, alcohol, pornography, affairs, etc. Shame becomes the prison we know. Authenticity is only a wish at best. And he writes this, Many of us are hoping that if we can just perform perfectly for long enough, someday the facade will become a real human being. That was me. Others of us just give up. Fading into the background noise of existence, locking away the inner world behind vaults unapproachable and hidden. Might that describe any of you? My journey with the Holy Spirit to bring healing to this devastation has been remarkable, and I want to share it. Since childhood, I've had this deep, deep sadness in my heart. Despite over 30 years of experiencing God's love and forgiveness and hope, And despite uh, 30 years of a long-term marriage with the love of my life, Melissa's here, despite great kids, despite all of that, I've had this deep, deep sadness in my heart. Those of you that have read The Shack by William Paul, Paul Young knows that he refers to the sorrow of the main character in the book as having this great sadness. And that so well described me. For me, the great sadness was always there. It was like a weight that had been permanently welded to my body. Not far from the surface was the feeling that I'm not enough and no amount of effort or performance could change that. 
And along with that were a lot of fears, fear of failure. I'd get angry when I failed to do something right. I was my own worst critic. You see, I didn't want to handle the criticism of being wrong, of being weak. So I vowed to show them that I wasn't, that I wouldn't fail. And my fear of showing weakness was an erosive and destructive influence in my life. I've already shared with you that I had a fear of being known. You see, I felt that I wasn't acceptable. I wasn't lovable. And if you truly knew me, you would reject me. So I had to protect myself from being known. I had to wear a mask. And I had a deep fear of being abandoned by family, by friends, by associates, by clients. My most recent path toward healing began last fall. Last October, God impressed upon me that he was beginning a new time of deep healing in my life. Kind of like the video. I want you to fall back. And I was looking around going, huh, really don't see anything there that's going to catch me, God. This is a little scary. But he was calling me to surrender in a new way and to trust him on the path ahead. He was calling me to fall into his arms even when I could see nothing behind me to break the fall. And he told me to write down the promise that he was giving me. And so I did. He said these things to me. Phil, as you obey me on this path, I will free you. I will show you the source of the sadness you carry, and I will heal it. I will open doors of ministry previously not available to you. I will give you power and wisdom and influence in my name, and I am going to be delicate with you. Come to me and let me dwell deeply in your heart. You will find rest. But the old voices within me protested. They were telling me I could never be free of the great sadness or the fear. The old lies announced to me that I've always been this way and some things can't ever be changed, not even by God. And God spoke clearly to me with this picture. I'm sure that most of us have seen elephants in a circus. Have you ever seen these big, massive elephants and how they control them with this little flimsy rope that is tied around their leg? You see, a flimsy rope holds giant elephants, and they could easily break the bond. But because the rope has been connected to them since childhood, they believe they can't break free. God said to me, Phil, your sin and these lies are a flimsy box of a substance that is easily broken open and cast aside. You have been told that you cannot break free of the great sadness and these debilitating fears, but these are lies. Last month, our family took a bucket list trip. We took a trip to South Africa and went on safari. And this is a family photo. We encountered lots of massive, fearsome beasts that could kill you, including elephants. And check this dude out, eating a tree. I cannot imagine that that elephant would be held down by a flimsy rope tied to whatever it could possibly be tied to. These are massive animals. Beautiful and dangerous, massive animals. Um, Melissa and I stayed at a resort, and in this resort, each room was a separate building. And so we had to walk this path to get to our room, and the resort would not allow you to walk that path during the dark without somebody with you, because you may not come back. And two of the three nights we were there, we're walking along, and the moon's out, but it's kind of dark, and off in the distance is this huge boulder and actually, it wasn't a boulder. It was one of these guys. And so they politely asked us, you know, to hang out in the lounge Why they, I don't know what they did, help the elephant decide to move on so we could go to our room. 
it was not safe for us to go there. And again, how could a massive animal like that be taught to believe through a lie that they can't break through this flimsy little rope? But breaking free from the rope isn't an easy path for them or for us. I mean, how many of us know that true healing involves a season of pain and suffering? Many times we have to go through that if we're going to be healed. There's a reason that the path of freedom has been referred to by Robert Frost as the road not taken. And M. Scott Peck calls it the road less traveled. And so it was with me. Within a month of God's promise to me, our team at work unexpectedly lost a few clients. Now, the good news is that that's a rare occasion. The bad news is that that very event immobilized me with fear. Old voices within me said, you see, you're a failure and you're a fraud. Those lies told me that these folks had obviously seen that I'm flawed, that I was lacking, that I didn't have what it takes. And what if other clients leave? What if they all leave? What if they all figure it out that I don't measure up? And I was numb. It was as if I was on the edge of a cliff and about to fall or jump. On the day of a very important client meeting, I woke up and I was quite literally immobilized by fear, as in I couldn't function. I had never experienced anything remotely close to that. That was brand new territory for me. Soon thereafter, I went back to see a trusted counselor to deal with this off-the-chart anxiety. And in in addition to seeking counsel, I purposed that I was going to hear from God and devoted time to listening to God's voice. And as I began to dig in with what was going on with me under the surface, God gave me many promises that reminded me of his protection and his plan, including this one. What great words from Psalm 91. Because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him. I will protect him, for he acknowledges my name. He will call on me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him. And show him my salvation. Regardless of the fear or the lie or the circumstance that you are facing today, that truth is for you as it is for me. And still, having received that promise, everything within me wanted to walk away, as we saw in the video. Walk away. I can't go there, God. There's no way you can catch me here. Yet I decided that I was going to push forward. And in my journal, I wrote these words. I've decided to press into my pain and engage actively in redemptive suffering. I seek the freedom and abundance God has for me to walk in the true self he created me to be. It's time to reject the demands for safety and for escape that my false self brings. And I wrote, that decision has led to off-the-chart anxiety. My arms and legs are so numb they physically hurt. Anxiety is my constant companion A dread has descended upon me. It was a dark place, but it was one where God kept speaking hope. A few days later, during my Bible study time, I read a simple verse, Mark 10, 16, one sentence. And he took the children in his arms, placed his hands on them, and blessed them. The picture of God in flesh, Christ, taking children into his arms, And blessing them. And as I pondered that and meditated on that scripture, God gave me a picture in my imagination, and this is what I wrote. I can feel the strength of Jesus as he holds me. 
I can sense his heart beating next to mine. I am safe in his arms. Jesus lifts my head and he looks me in my eyes. He does not speak, but his eyes tell me all I need to know. I am beloved. I have what it takes. Jesus is proud of me, perfectly pleased with who I am. I am good. I am loved. I am lovable. My fears and sadness and shame melt away. Imagine being held by the living God and to feel his love and his strength and his warmth and his heart beating next to yours. And I felt that as God was encouraging me that he was in this place. A few weeks later, we had a a concert here that some of you attended with Jason Upton. Wonderful concert. And Jason Upton told a story about the scarecrow. And he says, you know, the scarecrow makes us afraid. But a wise bird figures out that where there's a scarecrow, there's a garden. And he shared a song that had these lyrics. If I were a bird, if I were a foolish bird, I'd listen to my fear and fly away from here. But if I were a bird, if I were a wise bird, I'd listen to my heart and find the treasure waiting in the field. You see, God was inviting me to ignore the powerless lies of the scarecrow and to seek the treasure that he wanted me to receive. And then the breakthrough happened. A few weeks later, I had been traveling on business. I'm listening and connecting to God, determined to allow him to do the healing that he wanted to. I'm on an airplane flying home from a business trip, all dressed up, decked out, tie on, all that stuff. God tells me to take out my iPad and start taking some notes. And so I did. And he told me that I was receiving, and again, I have that italic bold, I was receiving, it was happening now. Take down these notes. I was receiving healing deep in my being. He was inviting the adult Phil to reunite with that boy who had been left behind, the one in the attic. With tears dripping from my eyes in the exit row of a Southwest Airlines flight, I wrote the following. Philip, I choose to be one with you. Philip is that little boy I left behind. I choose to be one with the vulnerable Philip, the sensitive boy who feels deeply, the one who can laugh and and cry. I was so ashamed of you. Your weakness and sensitivity made us very, very vulnerable. But they lied to me about you. You are the very best part of me. You reflect the very heart of God. In truth, you are my greatest strength. I'm sorry that I cut you off and left you behind. I welcome you now to take your rightful place in me. We are now free to take off the mask and be known. We are free to feel great joy and great sorrow. We are free to live as God created us to live. He is our strength and our shield. And the rope began to break. I welcome home the trusting, hopeful Philip, the one who believes in himself and others, the one who wants to be in relationship Your trust in others felt like a death sentence, Philip. Time and time again, you trusted our heart was safe for them, only to have them ignore our needs or viciously turn on us. I'm sorry I left you locked in that room. I could not bear the pain of relationships anymore. I could no longer stand pleading for nurture that was rarely given. I couldn't bear the pain of more attacks. They taught me never to trust anyone. They taught me not to believe in you or me, but they lied to me. You are my best hope to live life as God intended. Together we can walk with confidence and hope. 
we can be thriving in relationship with God and others and about the lies they told me about God in their woundedness. They made us believe that God himself was not trustworthy. That is a lie. God is forever faithful and always good. We can trust him with our heart because he is faithfully with us and for us. We can take the risk of trusting others with our heart. It is true that fallen people will hurt and disappoint us, but God will always be for us. In relationships, we will find that for which we have longed. We will be fully known and we will be loved for who we are. Oh, and one last point. I embrace the Philip that God created us to be. Philip, I am sorry I left you in that attic. The pain of that day was excruciating. We could not leave that place together and survive. You are the gateway to the life of fulfillment and joy that God intended. We are safe now. We can leave behind the anxiety and self-loathing. We can live in peace. We can be self-confident knowing that we have what it takes. We can have hope, Philip. Teach me again to laugh and to cry, to hope and to trust. I will never leave you again. I will protect and nurture you. That week I saw my counselor and was sharing some of the amazing stuff that God was doing. Among other things, she said to me, you know, I think you might be ready to read this book, The Shack, which I had never gotten around to reading before. I'm sure many of you have read that. Um, I was headed to a business meeting with Melissa in uh, Florida that weekend. And so um, took that on the plane and started reading the book and just was amazed by it. Um, one of the things, uh, how many people have read The Shack? A lot of, a lot of you. Well, um, for those of you that don't, God shows up in a really amazing way, as the wild goose may do so. Um, God shows up to this man who has been through this amazing trauma, and, and God is a nurturing African-American woman, which some people may have an issue with as they read that, that God would be a woman or whatever, but uh, it was just an amazing story. And that was the picture. Now, I share that with you because as I'm reading this, I am just all in, and I'm not done with the book yet, but I was, I was loving the book. And so Melissa and I get down to, uh, to Florida, to Amelia Island for a meeting that's going to start on Sunday. And on Saturday, she and I decided that we had way too much tension, so we scheduled massages. And um, so, sure enough, this is a large resort with I don't know how many massage therapists, 60, 70. This is a big place. And I'm waiting in the room for my massage, and... There's a knock on the door, and it's a nurturing African-American woman. And I just smiled. And um, as that massage began, as soon as she touched my shoulders, the Holy Spirit showed up. And this wasn't about all the pain that I'd suffered. God took me through the house that I grew up in. I remembered smells. I remembered textures. He helped me remember things about me, the joy and the laughter. The Philip, the good little boy that got left behind, the one he wanted me to connect with. I never wanted the massage to end. It was a 75-minute massage. It was unbelievable. The Holy Spirit spoke to me the entire time. We got done with the massage, and Melissa says, so how was your massage? I said, my life just changed, but other than that, it was okay. <laughs> it was all that. You talk about the wild goose showing up in paths that you never could have expected or predicted. That's what happened. And I was able to write this. Philip and Phil are good. They are one. They have a good heart. 
They care deeply and mean well. They defend the weak and give to those in need. They are sensitive to others. They are loyal and faithful. They have what it takes. They are beloved by God and they love God deeply. They are valuable, lovable, special, apart from anything they've done or could possibly do. I wrote, Phil and Philip joined as one. Feeling this was completely natural and good. Feeling like I was one for the first time in well over 50 years. The Father God bringing simply unbelievable healing and oneness to his son, Phil. The Spirit embracing me with tender love and affection. The Son standing beside me, letting me know he is proud of me. You see, last fall, God told me he was going to bring healing to that place of deep shame and sadness and self-loathing. And now it is so. The faithful one kept his promise. And I'm amazed at his greatness and his love. I'm free And I am me. I am loved and I am lovable. Incredibly, I love me. Every part of me, every age of me, for the first time in my life, able to love me because of my identity in Christ. As I noted earlier, Tim Keller has observed that this current culture that we live in needs to know that God is culturally and emotionally relevant before they will engage him. And I wonder how many people are out there or how many people are here today that still believe some of the old lies that we've been told. How many of us have left parts of ourselves behind and we put on masks because we're convinced that we're not lovable, that we don't have what it takes. And in the fear that that lie creates, we remain hidden. How many of us have quit on our dreams or we quit on relationships with God and with people when those relationships are the thing that can bring us love and acceptance and freedom and grace that will set us free and heal our hearts? How many of us walk, walk as false caricatures of what we were meant to be when the living God invites us to our true identity as his beloved daughter or beloved son? In his devotional titled A Book of Hours, Thomas Merton writes this, We are called to share with God the work of creating the truth of our identity. We can evade this responsibility by wearing masks. And this pleases us because it can appear at times to be a free and creative way of living. But in the long run, the cost and sorrow come very high. To work out our own identity in God is a labor that requires sacrifice and anguish, risk, and many tears. The risk of falling back and knowing that God is going to be there with you and for you. And he's even asking you to fall into his arms. And what is the truth of our identity? Listen to the words of author Henry Nouwen, who wrote this amazing paragraph. When we have come to believe in the voices that call us worthless and unlovable, then success, popularity, and power are easily perceived as attractive solutions. The real trap, however, is self-rejection. Self-rejection is the greatest enemy of the spiritual life because it contradicts the sacred voice that calls us beloved. Being the beloved constitutes the core truth of our existence. It's not what my clients say about me or what my firm says about me or what my family says about me or those old lies say about me. Being the beloved constitutes the core truth of my existence in your existence, of who we are in Christ. You know, William Paul Young wrote The Shack. Why? Because the story represented his own life. It was his childhood innocence that had been murdered 
through sexual abuse as a child. And his adult trying to figure all that out and deal with it. The shack is a metaphor. It doesn't mention any of that. But that's really what it's about. As he was trying to, to figure out his woundedness, and he was trying to describe the miraculous way that God healed his deep brokenness. And he writes this, It took me until I was 50 years old to finally know in the deepest places that Papa, God, was especially fond of me. That Father, Son, and Holy Spirit had never loved the facade, but dwelt in and loved the shack the entire time. It took 50 years to find that little child hidden in a closet deep in the basement recesses of a broken structure. And then he wrote this. It is me that God loves. With all my losses and hiding and devastating choices, it is you that God loves. You and me, we are the one that Jesus, along with the Father and the Holy Spirit, left the 99 to go find. This love is relentless, and we are not powerful enough to change it. How much the loving God pursues us and loves us. It is you that God loves. Hear his voice. Beyond the lie, beyond the rope that's been tied to your, your leg. He's calling you to freedom. I want to call the worship team up as we uh, move to close. And as they're doing that, I just want to share a few things with you. You know, through his spirit and through his scripture, God promised and delivered a miraculous season of healing in my life that is ongoing. It took me 57 years to reconnect with a boy in the attic. It took all those years to know that Phil and Philip are his beloved. And I believe that he wants you to experience that. And again, in my notes, bold, italic, experience. The left brain guy was able to experience the overwhelming love of God. As he cut through all the stuff and all the lies. And he was able to love me in a deep way. He wants you to know that you are his beloved. I believe that he would promise you that he is going to restore desolate places in your life as you trust him. Hear the words of the living God for you in the scripture because I believe this is for you and the scripture from Ezekiel is for me. This is what the sovereign Lord says, on that day I will cleanse you from all your sins. I will resettle your towns and the ruins will be rebuilt. The desolate land will be cultivated instead of lying desolate in the sight of all who pass through it. And they will say, this land that was laid waste has become like the Garden of Eden. This part of your life, of your heart, the devastation that the enemy wants to take you out, the lies of the past that have kept you paralyzed, that have kept you from being what God has called you to be, your identity in Him. This land that was laid waste has become the Garden of Eden. The cities that were lying in ruins, desolate and destroyed, are now fortified and inhabited Church, I just believe that we can trust this God, this faithful one, this gentle one, this all-powerful one. None of us are where he would like us to be, and he loves us perfectly right where we are. And yet he's calling us to more. He's calling us to freedom. I believe that he's calling us to, to step out of those places long devastated and put us on a path of freedom and joy. Joy, what a great word that is, that we've dreamt of but never thought possible. And I want you to hear his voice. It's not a voice of condemnation and ridicule. It's not the voice that I heard from the people downstairs. It's the voice calling to you, the beloved. You can trust him with your heart. 
In God, you have the freedom to be you, to live the true identity that he has created you to be. I want you just to um, soften your heart, close your eyes or whatever. I want you to listen to the words of this song. After this song, I'm going to come back and and, uh, give you a few final thoughts. We're going to have a couple of worship songs then to, to close the service. But for now, I just want you to listen to the words of this song and let God minister to your heart. I just wanted to tell you that I feel attracted to this particular worship leader. Those of you who are visiting today, she's been my wife for over 30 years, so I love her. Um, you know, as I shared in the first service, I was thinking about uh, the Army slogan, Be All That You Can Be. We cannot be what we were designed to be, what we were created to be. We can't walk in the freedom or the joy or the power that we are created to walk in apart from our true identity in Christ. It's only there that it's found. It's not found in business success or adulation or family or power or anything else. It just isn't. And I want to ask you to do something. We're going we're gonna to have two more worship songs and then the service will be over. So you're not going to be here much longer. But I would humbly suggest to you that the most important time of your week is right now. It's not the meeting tomorrow you have or the stuff that's going on this week. It's a time when God is asking you to be still and to listen to his voice. Listen to him call you the beloved. Listen to him to call you to freedom because he loves you and he wants you to experience all that he has designed you to be. The prayer team is going to be back here in the back corner and I'll be there with them to pray with people. If, if you want us to pray for you and encourage you, I just uh, would encourage you to come back and do that. If you just want to stand where you are and worship God and let him minister to you, do that. If you just want to lift up your hands and praise the faithful God whose love never fails, do that. So I'm going to be back there with the prayer team. Thank you. And Dusty and team, take it over. Thank you for listening. Join us at Quest as we walk with one another in friendship while discovering the reality and goodness of God together. For more information and service times, visit us online at gotoquest.org.